Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me this week is co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. Will, man, it's time for, uh, time for some question and answer from our loyal YouTube viewers. Yeah, man, we got people who come in here and tune in with us every week, and we appreciate everybody being here and, and supporting the podcast. I so certainly want to give back to them and answer their questions. And to be honest, with no spring game, um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how good an answer we'll have for people based <laughs> yeah. on some – but our, our guess will be as good as theirs, but uh, we, we just uh, maybe are paying more attention to the spring lies as opposed to you know, we'll be able to update them on the spring lies that we've heard. But uh, – no, it's a good time, right? Hope springs eternal in May. And, uh, you know, recruiting hasn't really ramped up yet. And and you're sort of coming off of everybody's spring game. So it's a good time to to sit back and talk about maybe some big picture stuff that the, that the folks on YouTube want to hear about. Yeah, uh, recruiting hasn't kicked off. But if you did miss it, Florida did get a commitment this past weekend. And, of course, Blake Alderman from Swamp 24-7 had him on uh, yesterday, released that episode. So you got two episodes this week. One focusing on the recruiting world with Blake Alderman and then Will and I doing this YouTube uh, Q&A session this week of Isaiah Bond, the most recent commit wide receiver uh, commit for the Gators. So go check out that most recent episode of Gators Breakdown if you haven't done so yet. So, Will, man, the, the questions that we're going to hit here a little bit is uh, you know, how, how much Dan Mullen would change his approach on offense after, ha- after having so much success through the air uh, in 2020. How does Todd Grantham adjust and perform in 2021? Uh, what on-field changes uh, will be made due to the, the coaching changes that the, the Gators have. So and we can go and, and hit that uh, and all those good questions too. But before we do, Will, Gators Breakdown Plus shout-out time. Uh, the, uh, if you subscribe there as a Total Access member, you can send a custom shout-out to, uh, to me here, and I will read it on a normal episode of Gators Breakdown. Uh, so from David Mosry, he goes, happy to be a supporter, Dave. Your show is the best out there for diehard Gator fans. I never miss an episode. I'd love it if you could give a shout-out to my dad, David Mosry Sr. 
uh, class of 1969. He goes, one of the great things about being a Gator is how it's passed on from generation to generation. I'm 50 now, but my first memory is of my dad nervously listening to, shouting out the radio in 1972, 1973 during a Gator game. Took my kids and my dad to the last FSU game in Gainesville. Really appreciate all you do for Gator Nation, my friend. Go Gators. And Will, that's what Gators Breakdown Plus, that's what Gators Breakdown is just in general. We've wanted to build a community here, and that community starts basically with just being a Gator fan, that community there of, uh, of your family, all your friends, going to games, all these memories we relive every year and uh, that we get every year also, you know, as seasons go by. That, that's what it's about. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I I spent a lot of time in engineering courses there at Florida, but the friends that I still have are the people that I watch football with and the people that I watch sports with and the people that I did, you know, things that were tied more with the university than the specific classes I was taking. And I think most people find that, that one of the reasons everybody loves college football and loves Gator football specifically is because of the connections that you make and the connections that it helps you maintain over the years because you've got something in common, even as you go sort of different ways in life. So that's cool to hear somebody who's been there since 72 or 73 i mean i was still just a figment of my parents imagination back then but uh you know if th good things were about to come in the in the early 80s with charlie pell and then obviously in the 90s with spurrier and the 2000s with urban meyer so a good time to be a fan absolutely so everybody if you want uh the, your own custom shout out shout out as well join gators breakdown plus you heard the promo there before the show uh gators breakdown supporting cast.fm that's how you find their couple tiers to choose from. Uh, if you just want to show general support, you can do that as well. Remember, you can find Gators Breakdown at newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching this YouTube version, like a lot of you are right now, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. It really, really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. So, Will, let's get to it, man. And the first question here is from Matthew King. He goes, Mullen isn't particularly known for – running a pro-style offense like he did with Kyle Trask due to the immense success in this area in 2020. To what extent do you think he'll incorporate this style into his identity as a play caller and quarterback developer? Bonus question. Do you think Emory Jones picked up enough aspects of the 2020 offense to make it change his identity or skill set at all? Or will we see the style of Emory we imagined as a recruit, the more typical dual threat? So for, first of all, kind of start with that bonus question. Never, I've said this plenty of times, never in my wildest dreams when Emory Jones signed his quarterback in 2018 that I, I thought it would take till 2021 for him to be the starting quarterback. <laughs> it's just you, you never can tell uh, what would happen in college football, and that's one storyline uh, right there. Because, look, he was supposed to be, for what we typically know a Dan Mullen offense to be, before Kyle Trask, Emory Jones was the heir apparent. It was the perfect system fit. He was going to be the next quarterback after Felipe Franks things worked out different. So, and in that different, Will, is a completely different offense uh, than what we've seen traditionally uh, from Dan Mullen and then just the, the wide open spread pass attack uh, that could hardly be stopped. And, you know, I, I've asked this question myself too. Did, did Mullen fall in love with a 2020 offense that he now, and I think we've seen it in recruiting a little bit, that he is getting more pocket-style passers McCarlos Del Rio, uh, uh, Jalen Kitna uh, uh, out there uh, as well. Now Nick Evers uh, as well, the most recent commit. So I think the recruits that you have seen it commit to Florida and the recruits that they're targeting do signify maybe that Dan Mullen is not just going to go 
quarterback run heavy like we've seen back in the past, like a lot of Nick Fitzgerald, Tim Tebow, that style of offense uh, there. So I, I think there are hints there. But speaking for 2021 and this season, it's it's all about Emory. Can Emory handle throwing the ball 35, 40 times a game if it comes to that? Uh, I, I think it, it really boils down to what Emory can do. But also, he's a pretty good weapon with his feet. I don't think you're going to ask him to stand back there in the pocket when – his legs are a weapon. His legs are an asset more so than, than Kyle Trask. So I don't think uh, Dan Baldwin, just because he found a quarterback last year that could throw the ball 40 times and be pretty comfortable with it, put up massive numbers, I don't think he's going to necessarily shy away from what he's done in the in the past. Well, I mean, I think Mullen's going to do what's necessary to win the games and move the chains. And and last year, the team couldn't run the ball, and Trask was able to throw it w- at will, and they had receivers who could get open consistently against one-on-one coverage, and in the case of Kyle Pitts, against double coverage fairly regularly as well. And here's the reality. An average passing team is going to average eight or eight and a half yards in attempt. An average rushing team is going to average five, five and a half yards. Maybe that's even a good rushing team. And so there's an advantage to being able to go through the air. Now, if you do things really efficiently on the ground, you can give your defense a break. You can you can sort of wear down the defense and take some deep shots. You can do some things. But the reality is, is that it's much more efficient to throw to throw the ball than it is to run the ball. Mullen knows that. He's not stupid. He understands the numbers and the way that works. But what he had to do at Mississippi State was bring in imperfect quarterbacks. Even Dak Prescott was a three-star guy that they developed into a guy who then was able to go on and succeed in the NFL. But Prescott had some limitations when you look at his when you look at his redshirt freshman year when he finally got some significant playing time. He only had a QB rating of like 123 or something like that. It wasn't until his second year starting where that jumped up to 150 and all of a sudden and that was the year in 2014 that Mississippi State was playing for number one in the country and you know nearly beat Alabama there. So I, I think what it boils down to is when you're at a Mississippi State, you can't get a guy who's a complete quarterback who has every skill you'd ever want. When you come to Florida, you should be able to sort of pick and choose the guys that you want. And I think Mullen has proven, I mean, if you look back in 2018 with Felipe Franks, it was like 60-40 running the ball. And then the minute Franks went down against Kentucky, all of a sudden it flipped and it was 55, 45, you know, passing the ball with Trask in there. And so he's shown that he can make the adjustment on the fly when someone comes in and and shows a particular skill set and ability. And I think he'll do the same thing with Jones. Jones Jones has already shown that he can run the ball at a pretty significant clip, even when the defense knows that that's what's coming. And so as you add different things and different wrinkles to the passing game, you're just going to open things up even more. So is it a change in philosophy? I don't know. I I think for the most part, Florida's offense, at least under Felipe Franks, was pretty simple. He looked at the numbers. If there were only four or five guys in the box and he had a blocking advantage, he took off. Right. And even Trask in the SEC championship game, we saw that a couple of times last year where where we were sitting there going, really? Third and eight, you ran that QB draw there, buddy. Like maybe, maybe we should have just gone back and tried to throw that one. But that's what the offense demands, right? The offense allows the quarterback to make those decisions. I think what we're going to see is that Emory Jones is going to make different decisions than Kyle Trask did, right? That Trask defaulted most likely correctly to chucking the ball all over the yard, whereas Emory Jones is going to default likely also correctly to running the ball. That's going to skew things in a way that that sort of brings balance back to Florida, and and that might actually be a good thing, right? That the offensive line getting some confidence and being able to put together a drive that'll put the game away, or being able to put together that drive that that you know when you're up by 
24 points that sort of bilks the clock and and demoralizes the defense and puts you up 31 and the game's over. I mean, there were a couple of times last year, the Tennessee game comes to mind, where Florida could, tried to run the ball and couldn't against the Volunteers. And, and that game, it wasn't really all that close. But at the same time, you're sitting there going, you know, really, we run it three times for a half a yard and punt, and we ran like 18 seconds off the clock like that's what we're doing here and and they should be able to do that next year so it's going to be different um you know emory jones is a different quarterback that doesn't mean that he doesn't have um the throwing skills or at least th- enough throwing skills to be able to replicate some of the things trash did um the comment you made about the recruits is interesting again i think that just sort of boils down to to mullen recognizing that you have to throw in today's game to be a really elite offense and if you have to give up the running ability of a quarterback to 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 get the throwing ability that you'll do that. Well, also find it. You brought up numbers, and we we've brought that aspect up before. But I do find it funny. How many times in the second half of season last year did we say, "Man, they're dropping eight. They're dropping eight. I don't know how many times Emory's going to see <laughs> defense dropping eight because if they do, he's just going to nickel and dime them with his legs and. You know that 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 that's will be the plan of the offense. We won't see dropping eight a whole lot uh, unless you know you just see uh, a lot of success that we just don't expect to see. Just but not from Emory, but just because it, it as you said, it's going to be different. You're not going to ask him to do that with his repertoire at, at quarterback. But will uh, also you know you talked about about his going back to his Mississippi State days and, and the different style of quarterbacks. Went down a rabbit hole uh, a little bit while I'm doing some research for uh, probably our next week episode where we do another deep dive of this offense and going into some numbers here. But I went and looked. Trask had 15 games of at least 30 attempts, six games of at least 40 attempts, and 22 starts. So 15 games of at least 30 attempts, six games of at least 40 attempts, and 22 starts. So then, so then okay. I went and looked at that. I was like, okay, I, I got to go back and look at his Mississippi State days and combine. You know, he played multiple quarterbacks in games, but if the quarterback position threw for 30 or more attempts a game, what was the record? So 2009, of course, he's coming in after Sylvester Croom and got to clean up a whole lot. They threw for 30 or more attempts in a game twice. They were 0 and 2. 2010, the same 0 and 2. 2011, when they threw for 30 or more attempts, one and five so not a very good start there with quarterbacks that you know he probably had to make something of to begin with and then he finally starts getting his quarterbacks in you can kind of tell a little bit 2012 tyler russell starts and that's before kyle trask was probably the most pass friendly quarterback dan mullen has had in head coaching career 2012 tyler russell starts they're three and four in games where they threw for 30 or more attempts in a game. But that was seven games, Will. Six the year before, four combined in the two years before that, his first two years. 2013, five and three. And when quarterbacks threw for 30 or more attempts a game. Then comes 2014, Dak Prescott takes over four and three in games. And that was because of that late season stretch where Mississippi State just fell apart after getting that number one ranking, as you said. They go to late, late in the season, lose to Ole Miss, lose to Georgia Tech in a bowl game. Four and three in games where Dak Prescott threw for 30 or more attempts a game. 2015, they let Dak Prescott throw it even more. There were seven and four. There was 11 games that let Dak Prescott throw for 30 or more attempts uh, in a game. Seven and four, as I said. 2016, this was the big surprise, Will. I did not expect this whatsoever. 2016, Nick Fitzgerald takes over. Okay, he's the running quarterback. 
six and four in 2016 when they threw for 30 or more attempts in a game. First of all, I was surprised that there was 10 games that they let <laughs> Nick Fitzgerald throw for 30 or more times. That really took me by surprise. Probably didn't like it too much. 2017, five games total where Nick Fitzgerald threw for 30 or more attempts in a game. He got hurt in that, bowl, uh, in that season interval, still missed. But they were two and three in 2017 when the quarterback position threw for 30 or more attempts in a game. His record at Mississippi State in that situation, 28 and 30 overall. They'll go to Florida here, three years there, two and two. In 2018, Franks didn't do it a whole lot. 2019, there's the big difference, Will, nine and two. <laughs> when the quarterback position threw for 30 or more attempts a game. And of course, last year, seven and four, South Carolina was the only game not to hit 30 attempts by Kyle Trask. Uh, besides the bowl game, seven and four uh, there. Uh, I guess you wouldn't count the bowl game either. So it probably would be seven and three uh, if I go back and look at it like that. So the record uh, at, at Florida would be, it would be, if I had to do the math in my head, and that would be 18 and seven uh, if you go and look at it that way. So you can tell this, the quarterback position definitely goes, <laughs> whatever style of quarterback he has, that's how many times he's going to throw. He's got a good quarterback. He's going to throw it for 30 or more times. Uh, he didn't do it early in his Mississippi State career. Did it more when Nick Fitzgerald in that first season, more than I thought. Uh, there's Dak Prescott uh, years of 7, 11, so 18 games total. Dak Prescott did it in his career. Uh, so you, you had the perfect combination there of, of, of Dak Prescott, probably one of the better dual threats that he had, better arm, better, better running uh, style quarterback. Uh, there, you know, the total package is what Dak Prescott brought to the table. But uh, I did find it inter interesting that we know Dan Mullen likes to run the quarterback. He likes to run the ball. So I definitely had to go back and look and see how many times they, 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 they really hit that 30 pass attempts uh, a game mark. Yeah, that's an interesting stat. I do wonder whether the average plays per game has gone up since, you know, 2009, 2007, when he took over at Mississippi State. And 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 basically is 30 still less than 50%, right? Yeah. And is it 32? Is it 33? Or is it 42? And last year, a few times where Trask was throwing 40, 40 times a game. The other aspect is, is that Trask is clearly had Mullins trust, especially last year. And I think that's sort of what you're seeing in those numbers is that the quarterbacks who gained who gained Mullins trust were the guys who were able to chuck the ball around. And then it's also sort of a shift in college football, right, that yep. you you have to score 40 points to win some games in college football at this point. Your defense is not going to be able to stop the opposition every game. Nick Saban even said that last year after the Ole Miss game. The college football's changed, and in some capacity, you're going to have to outscore your opponent. You know, back back when Tyler Russell was his quarterback, Mullen was just worried about keeping it close. He wasn't really worried about, you know, playing for championships. At Florida, it's different. You got to prepare your team to play for championships. And so if you're going to do that, you're going to have to wing the ball around a little bit. So um, I, I expect Emory Jones is going to go over 30 quite a few times next mm -hmm. year. I, I think one of the good things is, is that one thing that would be interesting is to divvy that up on wins and losses, right? That they're 18 and seven. But Mullins, what, like 29 and – I mean, I don't even know what his overall record is, but I think the times they didn't throw 30 times, I bet you the record's really good. Yeah. yeah, so they've only lost two games where they didn't throw the ball 30 times. So for all the people who are saying, I hope that, you know, that that – that Mullen doesn't go back to a run-centric offense because I want to see him throw the ball. Uh, the record was pretty good when they weren't throwing the ball 30 times. Part of that is is an artifact of not being behind, right? You don't have to throw the ball right. when you're behind. Right. But 
part of that is also when you're able to run the ball, you're able to put teams away. And in 2018 and 2019, Florida was able to put games away in the fourth quarter. Last year, they couldn't. And so that seven and three record um, that, that you cited there in, in, in 2020 is, is I think indicative that there were just a few games where they couldn't put it away. And Trask was throwing the ball 40 times, not 30 times. Yeah. So I definitely had to go back and look at it. It was, that was, I, I had to pull that up before some more research that we're doing next week, uh, next week for next week's episode. So diving in even more into the offense next week, but uh, got some stuff going on, Will, where I, I go back and calculate the percentage of plays the quarterback was involved in uh, all the way from Dak Prescott and Fitzgerald to Felipe Franks. Uh, Kyle Trask, we know. I mean, just throwing that ball many times. I think we're just kind of looking at an offense that, you know, we think but would best suit Emory Jones. And since he has that run threat there, it's not going to look like the Kyle Trask offense. So I think I had to go back and look at the Dak Prescott offense, Nick Fitzgerald offense, and the Felipe Franks offense because I think that's kind of the, the a hybrid of those is kind of what we'll see. Uh, with Emory Jones. I got some pretty good stuff uh, there coming up next week. So uh, next question from Justin Aycock. How does Grantham adjust and perform knowing that this is his last shot under Mullen at Florida? So pretty good question there. And I think um, well, a lot of it, and I've said this before, there, there had to be a heart to heart at some point during the season in the process of maybe trying to decide if you're going to keep Grantham around or not. And then of course, you know, going through spring and, and all that. Um, there's a thought will too, that this is going to be his last season, no matter what, just because of uh, contract obligations and, and stuff, maybe not redoing the, uh, the Grantham's contract, the four years uh, there. And this is going to be his last year. And you know, I, I do wonder that could be a plan that could, be part of it, but what if he goes out there and I'm not predicting this big, huge, gigantic turnaround on defense, but say Florida does go out there and Grantham somehow makes the top 10 defense and they win the big games versus Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and some combination uh, in those games there. I mean, what happens if he does do that? And we, we go into the season saying, well, you know, it's probably his last season contract-wise. They want to save some money. They hung on, hung on to him for another year. But then he goes out there and dominates the season. Then are you in a conundrum? Do you, okay, well, this was the plan, but uh, now we'll probably have to keep him around. I, I don't know. That's just a lot of hypothetical there. But, I mean, him and him and Mullen are friends. They've had the conversations, uh, of course. I think uh, they were probably both embarrassed by that, what we saw last year. That probably should be the most driving factor there. That cannot happen uh, again. So, I think I think we will see adjustments. I don't think he'll be so stubborn to where nothing will change. I mean, we, we've seen the – and we'll get into the one of the next questions. We've seen the coaching changes uh, there happen. They had a spring uh, to, to fall back on this time that they didn't have last year. A lot of young players getting a lot of time. So, adjust and perform. Th- there will be adjustments. I don't know what they'll be, but there'll be some changes. Yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but I don't expect him to change his stripes. I mean, I I think he's been this guy at Georgia. He was this guy at Louisville. He was this guy at Mississippi State for the one year. And now he's going to be this guy at Florida, right? There's going to be some blitzes that get home and cause havoc and get turnovers. There's going to be time where the blitzes don't get home. And and particularly against skilled quarterbacks who are able to read his defense, that seems to be his Achilles heel. Now, one of the good news is, you know, some of the good news is that there isn't that guy, right? Even Kellen Mond, who really wasn't that great last year, 
but was great against Florida because he's one of those experienced guys who had a lot of, you know, who who's able to understand, who's able to deal with the pressure, I suppose, um, was able to pick them apart. There really aren't those guys this year in the SEC. I mean, maybe you could say JT Daniels is experienced, but not really. I'm not scared of Terry Wilson at Kentucky. Um, you know, I don't know who the quarterback's going to be at, at Tennessee. You just sort of go down the list and there's nobody there where you go, oh, there's a four-year starter. That's somebody you've got to watch out for. So I think Florida's defense will be better. I, I think the thing that can concerns me is you know so <laughs> pro football focus put out a mock draft and they had Kyrie Elam going eighth overall to the Raiders they had Brenton Cox going 32nd overall to the Chiefs that means that if those guys get picked along with Ventrell Miller Zach Carter and Diabate those are sort of three guys you figure are probably going to end up getting drafted in the NFL if not next year than the year after that means he had eight starters on that defense last year who are going to play in the NFL it's like what happened? What? Like that, I mean, that, that, that's that's the thing, right? They gave up 46 points per game in the games that they lost. So I'm sitting here going, I'm like, sorry, I'm, I'm about to pass out after saying that. But they even gave up 23 points per game in the games that they won, which would have still only been like good enough for 30th in the country. Um, so there's a lot of work that needs to be done on that side of the ball. I think spring practice is going to help. I think having a full fall practice, I think just the weirdness of COVID and that not being around, I think Mullen probably is going to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more focused maybe than he was last year in some of his post-game conferences and the team won't have to deal with the fallout of that. Um, but you know, here's the reality. If Grantham does not get the team better than 30th in the country, I think Florida has to make a change at defensive coordinator. And then if Grantham does put up the unbelievable, you know, shutting down everybody, it's just a monster season, then he's going to go be a head coach someplace else. So if you're somebody who doesn't like Grantham, um, rest easy. There are very few scenarios where I can see that Grantham isn't someplace else next year. Um, so, you know, let's root for the for the world beating, uh, shutting everything, everybody down, because then even then the Grantham haters and the Grantham lovers get uh, get get the result they want. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll go back and we'll see how important the spring is. That's something everybody dealt with last year. But as I've said before, I think for as much as we laud this staff for their development and how much they develop, if you're going to laud that development time and that they didn't get, yeah, I, granted, I know everybody else didn't get one either, but I do think it affected Florida a bit more than other schools. But should it have? Yeah, that's that's another question. Uh, but, but it did. Should it have? I, I completely agree. It probably shouldn't have. That doesn't mean it did. So, yeah, that, that's probably an, uh, another way to look at it uh, there. But that question, Will, goes to kind of the next question here from B. Champy. What on-field changes, if any, do you expect to see due to coaching changes? And I think um, what I look for here, Will, and a lot of uh, on defense, uh, aggressiveness and, and, and a physicality, and that, that to me is a, is a whole mindset. I think they underestimated I think it started at the top – with Dan Mullen. I think they underestimated the, the lack of physicality in camp, trying to keep everybody healthy. Um, looking at it that way, I think that was probably something Dan Mullen would probably change if he could go back and change last year, just the physicality in camp. Leading up to it, we saw the, the lack of tackling pretty much all season long. Uh, but look, I, I think you you bring in a McGriff, the crime dog, you bring in Montanar, and what we heard going back into the spring press conferences, more physicality, maybe more man defense. And I brought that up last year, too, that it's not just a switch you can flip, but I think going and playing more man coverage, which you should have the athletes to do at Florida. I know Grantham likes his own. Uh, probably a, a big 
deterrent for him and, and, and Torian Gray. I don't think they saw eye to eye a whole lot, but we did hear this spring. Hopefully that comes to fruition that we'll probably see a good bit of it too. And I think that's the physicality uh, type of thing. You get the athletes at Florida to play aggressive on defense. You get the athletes to play that man, get up in your face to style of defense. And I think that's a mindset. And I think, you know, confidence go, goes into it, go, goes into that. And I think you, you have to have confidence to be able to go out there and do that. So I think it's, Pretty imperative that this past spring was a springboard for that, but we're not going to know until they go out there and play games. And so I think early season confidence, early season physicality, mindset, aggressiveness, I think all that has to come together for this for this new coaching staff on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're talking about the new coaches and you're talking about the defensive backs, really what I'm looking for is trust. And I think aggressiveness probably comes from that trust. Yeah. So Grantham, Grantham's interesting because he plays a lot of matched quarters defenses, which can you can play a zone on one side, you can play man on the other. But if one guy doesn't know what he's supposed to do, it's a busted coverage. And, you know, if you go back and watch the old Miss tape in particular, there were a lot of times where it looked like the corners and the safeties were not on the same page in terms of what defense was being played on what side of the ball. And and that's why some of those deep shots for Ole Miss were wide open, just because the guys weren't on the same page. And the problem is, is once you get beat deep once, then you're tentative because you're not sure whether you're going to get beat deep again, right? And you just start questioning. It's like a catcher in baseball who gets crossed up one time. The guy throws a fastball, hits him right in the chest when he's expected a curveball. You know, you you put down that curveball again, but you're still sort of thinking the fastball might come, especially especially right afterwards, right? And and if it's the same pitcher, and I think it's the same thing when you think about the defense like you need to have trust between the corners and the safeties they need to be able to execute the defense grantham once well and i mean you know i don't the lsu game we make fun of the double corner blitz <laughs> but i don't think that's what was called right i, I think what I, I think we can all agree that that wasn't what was called i think what happened was is that the guys got confused and, and ran the wrong defense and all of a sudden lsu has a guy streaking wide open and nobody covering him that can't happen. That is coaching. I mean, obviously, you put in the call, your players have to know what to do. At the same time, like, that's a trust thing, right? Is that they both go or they both don't go and they and they don't go full tilt. You don't get to the quarterback and all those sorts of things. So that's what I'd be looking for from the defensive backs is I'd be looking for trust. I think that's that's the thing. If, if you start seeing them working, especially if you see a situation where they're playing zone on one side and man on the other and they do it correctly, then that's one of those things where you go, okay, they really have, are starting to get Grantham's scheme and they're starting to understand how to trust one another within the system. Well, well, I think something that goes along with trust too, accountability. Uh, that has to be something that uh, that that has to be back there in that secondary. And I know I keep I hate keep I hate to keep bringing it up. You brought it up uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, or whatever it was. You know the the Marco Wilson shoot toss. He shouldn't shouldn't been on the field after that. Yeah, you know, I, I don't care if there was confusion about what the penalty was or all that. You you, you knew what it was. I guess they feel like they didn't have anybody else to turn to. Turn to the team captain. He's been on the team. Uh, for 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 a few seasons that left him out there, but you know, just not enough accountability uh, back there in the secondary. As you said, busted coverages all the time. Somebody not doing their assignment, you know, trust I think goes along hand in hand with accountability. And you know, if if you don't make the plays, if you keep screwing up, like we saw time and time again, the, the, the safeties and the DBs confused, not knowing you know, the ball is getting snapped, and they're still talking, they're still wondering what to do. That shouldn't be the case. The coaching staff deserves some blame on that too. Absolutely. That's part of the accountability as well. Figure out what you're doing wrong. 
Simplify it if you have to for, for, for these guys. I know it may not be your defense. And as you said, we'll grant them maybe wearing his stripes no matter what. But at some point, you got to adjust. If you don't adjust, you don't have a job. That's, I think accountability starts with Dan Mullen and making sure these coaches are doing, are doing their job. You know, the whole, I guess, the criticism of the whole buddy buddy system, I think it's really going to be put to the test uh, in this 2021 season. A lot in a lot of people's mind, it was already put to the test of how can you keep a defensive coordinator like Todd Grantham after the season they just had. 2021, I think it's going to go. The, the word accountability can go all the way from the head coach to his assistant coaches, all the way from the uh, coaches down to the players. Uh, everybody just doing their job. Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting. Dan, Dan Mullen's made a lot of deposits with the Florida program, right? You think about deposits and withdrawals, and and he's he's been extraordinarily effective with with Jim McElwain's players. He's brought Florida back to national prominence. We've had a lot of games where you're looking at this and saying, okay, this has national implications, and that hadn't really happened at Florida in a while. So I think there's a, a segment of the fan base that's going to say, okay, he's made a lot of deposits into our program. We need to honor that. But keeping Grantham is a really large withdrawal. And so, you know, that balance is looking awfully, is, is looking awfully, you know, one, one thing goes wrong, the air conditioner goes out and all of a sudden you're going to have problems. And that's kind of where Mullen is, right? Is that if the decision to, if the decision to keep Grantham looks brilliant at the end of the year, then the, the withdrawal is worth it. And all of a sudden the balance looks healthy and, and everybody's back on board. But if it ends up being shaky, then then everybody gets nervous, and that's that's the bet that he's making, right? I mean, it would have been easy in some in some ways. I really do respect Mullen for keeping Grantham around. I think it's the wrong decision, but I, do, I respect him for it from the standpoint of th- this is a program defining decision to keep Grantham around, and it's a legacy defining decision. And the easy decision probably would have been to get rid of Grantham, bring in somebody else, and then if that doesn't work, blame him. Um, but at this point, because you've decided to keep Grantham, if it doesn't work, that's on you, buddy. <laughs> like that's on the head coach. And so to your point, the accountability goes all the way to the top, but also, you know, Hey, you got to admire the guy sticking to his guns and saying, this guy can get it done and I'm going to stick with him. Whether or not you agree with the decision. And again, I, I don't, but whether or not you agree with the decision is, is, is altogether different than admiring the fact that the guy's willing to go down with what he believes in. Um, but again, that, that is the problem, right? Is that if the, if Grantham has issues, then it, it's a reflection on Mullen and it's a reflection on confidence within Gator nation. And, and that stuff starts to erode. It's a really big withdrawal. Um, you know, Gator nation still for, for mo for the most part is, is pretty heavy in Dan Mullen's corner, but if things go wrong with Grantham this year, then, then you're going to start to see that shift. All right, Will, so next topic, recruiting. So here we go. <laughs> we'll see how we'll see how this one goes. I think I, we've had this discussion on the Gators Breakdown Plus chat room uh, a little bit, so I've had some of this discussion there. So I think uh, we can really hit this topic uh, a good bit here. And the, Connor, the, the question comes from Connor, uh, Connor Stein Olson. So I, I hope I said that right, Connor. He goes, why do you think Florida has such a hard time closing the deal with highly rated recruits? That is a fully loaded question there. So we're going to get into it uh, as much as we can here. Uh, so it, it, it's funny. I, I saw this tweet on, on Twitter here, and it really caught my eye in regards to this question here. And, and it comes from the real Chucky Gator on Twitter, and he posted this. He goes, will Dan Mullen ever recruit like Nick Saban, Ryan Day, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley? If so, who does he need to, um, who does he need to replace on his staff? Who does he need to bring in? Uh, help with recruiting so that was just a question on twitter that not necessarily i'm not going to answer that but 
the, you know, will he ever recruit like that? And the response that I saw from former Gators wide receiver great Jacquez Green, newly announced head coach Manatee High School, simply responded with, quote, personalities. And I was like, man, and I was like, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty pretty remarkable statement just in that one word uh, for me. And that's, that's a former Gator great who wants nothing but the best for Florida. Now I had coach in the state pointing out, you know, the personality of Dan Mullen not being as high as some of the nation's best coaches and recruiters out there. And, you know, Will, we talked about this last week. This is exactly the coach and the guy we're getting when the Mississippi State media people come in on this podcast and told us that's who we were getting. Nothing with that in regard has changed. But, look, personality isn't everything. You know, but Mullen, and more importantly, much of the staff are are just a, a brash group and no-nonsense personalities. Uh, kids these days like to be wine and dine, and, and that's not this staff's strong suit here. We were warned about this from the from, from the Mississippi State uh, side of things and just thought it would take care of itself because uh, the, you know, the Gator logo on the shirt, and that has helped somewhat, but it doesn't fix the issue entirely. And – Look at the transfer portal. I think the older veteran players eventually come around to it and, and the pedigree of coaching and development win them over. But it's still a struggle compared to others as far as, you know, high school recruits go. So that's one part of it. Also, it's not all on Mullen. Every big program out there is 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 not clean when it comes to recruiting. You know, we know that. That's not a big secret here. But the Florida administration doesn't like to get uh, as dirty, scared to death of probation uh, dating back to the 80s there. So – well, I think you know there is a level of it that Dan Mullen, but I also think there's a level of it that's a little bit higher than him. I mean, yeah, I suppose. I, I go back to Urban Meyer's quote in his book where he says Tim Tebow almost didn't come to Florida because of Mullen, that basically they had to keep the quarterback away from the quarterback coach to get him to commit to Florida instead of Alabama. And I think that tells you something about you know somebody like Jacquez Green, who's one of the most laid-back guys you'll ever meet. And nothing but complimentary about the program when you and I have talked to him and and congrats to him on having that head coaching job. But, you know, I'm surprised to hear that from him. Right. I think that says something about the brashness. I think that says something about, you know, I, I said earlier that I admire him for sticking to his guns. I don't admire him for sticking to his guns on the recruiting trail. Like mm -hmm. you need to make some changes if, if, if it's not delivering the results that you need. But again, you got to enjoy what you're doing when you come to work every day. And maybe he doesn't want those guys who need to be wined and dined. He's just decided, you know what, I'm at Florida. I can bring in high level four star guys and I'm going to try to win with those. I think that's a flawed strategy. I think you're probably going to end up losing to teams like Alabama, LSU, and Georgia. And overall, his record against those three, not all that great in his three years here at Florida thus far. So, um, you know, I, I don't have a good answer other than the recruiting is what it is, right? I mean, he's he's going to be somewhere between ninth and 14th. We know that. The class is at, what, 24th, 25th right now. That's fine. It'll be up to ninth through 14th. Ninth through 14th when the season's over, that's where it's going to end up. Those are the players who are going to come. Uh, my days of wishing for him to be recruiting like Saban are over. Like, that was one of the reasons why I was so critical of the recruiting early on is you looked back at Urban Meyer. You even looked back at Will Muschamp, and you said it's possible – to bring in top three classes at Florida. And, and really that should be the expectation. And Mullen wasn't able to deliver on that expectation. And that irritated me. But at this point, I don't have an expectation for him to bring in top three classes. He's not going to do it. And the, the idea that we should sit here and pine for five stars and get disappointed when they go someplace else. 
It's just a waste of time. At this point, it really is an argument over, is Dan Mullen going to be, be able to develop slightly lower-ranked players than Kirby Smart? And and that's the battle, right? The battle, it's it's almost a, <laughs> it's a religious battle in some ways between people who believe only in recruiting and people who believe only in development or at least believe 170-30 one way and 170-30 the other way. We're going to find out, right? I mean, Mullen's going to be here for at least three or four more years. Um, Kirby Smart's going to be here for at least three or four more years. And at the end of the day, we're going to be able to look up and Mullen's either going to be two and four or he's going to be four and two against Kirby Smart. And we'll sort of know what the answer is at the end of the day. Um, but I, I think that quote about about Mullen from Meyer says it all. Like they're just, he is not a natural salesman. He is not a guy who walks into the room and commands the room. We saw it. He, he, he struggles to make the press like him and just about every college coach has the press liking him. And, and Mullen even sort of burned some of those bridges over this past year. And, and uh, you know, he, he's just, he's, he's an interesting dude. He sticks to his guns. He says what he believes. And sometimes discretion is the better part of valor when you're trying to recruit someone or when you're trying to convince somebody to your way. Um, Mullen doesn't seem to be that kind of guy. He just sort of tells you the way he thinks it is and you're either going to come with him or not. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't, but you know, we'll get to see. Yeah, well, so the next part I'll go to just to kind of extend this conversation spending, and I think it probably goes a little bit higher than Mullen uh, as well. And I w- went back and, and looked at the articles here because I knew spending was an uh, issue as far as when you compare it to the elites uh, in the recruiting world here. And you know, transportation, lodging, and meals for prospective student athletes, institutional personnel, unofficial and unofficial visits, telephone call charges, postage, and such. That's kind of a recruiting budget for a college football program. Number one, University of Georgia, as far as recruiting expenses uh, for college football. And the recruiting expenses for all sports was $3,990,422. The recruiting expenses for football, and this only dates back to 2018, um, Two million six hundred and twenty-six thousand six hundred and twenty-two. So, a lot of numbers there. But the percentage of total recruiting expenses fit spent on football, sixty-five point eighty-two percent. That's for the University of Georgia. They lead the way there as far as expenses for recruiting in college football. Second, Alabama, and their their expenses for all sports, three million. $310,990. The recruiting expenses, $2,344,057. But their percentage that they spend on football is actually higher in Georgia, 5% higher <laughs> Alabama is. So no surprise that those two programs lead the way. 70% of University of Alabama's total recruiting expenses is spent on football. 70%. <laughs> I mean, we knew... Football is number one there. There's no question. There's no question about it, and the numbers kind of prove it there uh, for for Alabama. So, Will, number one, Georgia. Number two is Alabama. Number three, Texas. Number four, Clemson. Number five, Texas A&M. This is probably going to rub people the wrong way. Number six, Florida State spends more money recruiting than the University of Florida. Number seven, Michigan. Number eight, Penn State. Number nine, LSU. Number 10, Oklahoma. Number 11, Nebraska. Spends more money in recruiting than the University of Florida, who comes in at number 12. So you could probably kind of look at it that way. I know that could, uh, if you're looking for reasons maybe of you know, that final big 
recruit, you know, maybe maybe this is one more data point that you can kind of point to of one reason Florida struggles compared to Florida or Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, those schools there. Recruiting expenses for all sports for the University of Florida, $2,329, uh, $329,000. Recruiting expenses for football, $1,155,802. Will, Florida, percentage of total recruiting expenses spent on football, 49.62%. About half of recruiting for Florida, all and, and counting all sports, 50% of it goes to football. Compare that to Georgia, 60 on the 66% goes to football for Alabama, 70%. So about 15% less than the University of Georgia, 20% less than Alabama. There you go. I mean, if you want to maybe take a look at what programs are dedicated and how they spend their money for recruiting, there's the numbers there that kind of prove where the dollars are going. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned at one point, basically $1.2 million for Florida. That's $1.5 million less that they're spending than Georgia on an annual basis for recruiting. And those dollar numbers pretty much line up with the recruiting rankings when you start going down. Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Clemson, Texas A&M, Florida State, Michigan, Penn State, LSU. That's pretty much the top nine when you start looking. The only program that's not in there is Notre Dame. And I do wonder whether Notre Dame as a private institution doesn't publish its, its recruiting mm-hmm. dollars. Um, and, and that's why they're not in that list that you had there. So the biggest um, takeaway, no Ohio State. Yeah, though, I, I think the numbers – so the numbers I have, they're fr- fairly similar to the ones you have. Um, yeah. I think that's when they were making the transition from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, and I mm-hmm. wonder whether the recruiting budget would – I don't know how the accounting is done when when that sort of stuff is going on. The other thing is, is that Ohio State really, for the most part, dominates that Midwest region. And doesn't have to travel all over the place, right? But th- this is one of the things, you know, when, when Florida recruited Chris Steele out of USC, this is one of the things that was in the back of my mind, is that recruiting a guy from California is expensive. And what are you spending elsewhere if you're recruiting a guy from California or if you're recruiting a guy from New York or from, you know, from Washington, D.C. or something like that? Like, you got to be sure you're going to get that guy. And you got to be pretty comfortable with the circle you've drawn around your recruiting regions at home. And Florida just, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to secure that. I mean, Miami's been down. Florida State's been down. And Florida should have been able to widen its circle of influence within the state, they haven't been able to do that. And part of that might be budgetary. Part of it might be facilities. I think a big part of it is, is personality. And you sort of combine all those things and you go, huh, we're right in line with spending right now. I think Jim McElwain complained about the spending and nobody liked him. I think, well, Muschamp and Urban Meyer just sort of dealt with it and, and were really good recruiters and were able to deal with the, the limitations that the, that the athletic association gave them. Um, Mullen hasn't been able to overcome that. You know, it, it's not that you can't, um, it's not that you can't overcome that. It's just, you gotta be a really good recruiter to do it. And, you know, Florida hired Mullen for his football coaching ability, not for his recruiting ability. Like you said, the, the reporters at Mississippi state were not shy about his uh, limitations on the recruiting trail. And Scott Strickland knew all that stuff all too well because he was the athletic director at Mississippi State while Mullen was there too. So Florida went into this with eyes wide open, and you know they're, they're getting what they're paying for, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, this is like a great football coach and average recruiter. And you know, average recruiter at Florida is still going to get you, you know, counting with the way the transfer portal goes, and you look at the team talent composite and all that, and – an okay recruiter at Florida still going to give you 
you know, you hit that transfer portal the way he's hitting it, it's going to give you top 10 talent on your roster. And as you said, Will, we'll have to look at three, four years down the road. We're still asking ourselves, you know, the question, will that be enough? Will that approach be enough of not having, you know, high school talent at Alabama? Nobody has the Alabama level, really, when you look at the way they've done it. Uh, so that, that, you know, as you said, Will, that comparison is just kind of by the wayside now. It's been too many years, at least for Florida. You know, Georgia can say they're up there, but, you know, even they, they, they can't beat Georgia. Um, they're, you know, still – they got the love going into this preseason, but uh, you know, still finding ways to, you know, uh, mess it up and, and not get there. But as, as I've always said about recruiting there, doesn't mean you will win, but you ain't winning without it. So that's about the simplest way to put it. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. You know, that, that, that when when Dan Mullen was hired, go back and look in in the recruiting. I was like, I'm not sure he'll ever get to that top one, two, three level. I was hoping he hoping he would. I was hoping that Gator logo in the chest would would make that big difference. But uh, you know, it said, would the would the top ten recruiting be enough? And you know, through three years, we're still asking ourselves that question. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's an awesome test case for all of the stuff we've been talking about, right? Like Dan, or Nick Saban has been recruiting gangbusters in the SEC, certainly won a lot of national championships that way. Um, but he hasn't until recently with Kirby Smart really had someone who was trying to go head-to-head with him uh, on, a, on a recruiting basis, right? And now you've got Dan Mullen, who's not necessarily going head-to-head with, with Saban or Smart on a recruiting basis, but can go head-to-head with them and perhaps even surpass them when it comes to coaching on the field, at least with Kirby Smart. I think I think you can say that with Nick Saban, maybe not. But So it's an excellent test case. Like We're looking at – I think we've seen clear limitations in Kirby Smart's in-game coaching, decision-making, fourth downs, fake punts, um, you know, defensive calls on fourth and 21 or whatever it was. Like we've what seen lim- what, what quarterback you're playing for half a season <laughs> that too, uh, Jake from over Justin Fields, um, all, all that sort of stuff. Right. So we've seen limitations there. And so people who just go Georgia, 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 Georgia. Well, you know, let's see it, right. Let's see it for a whole year. Let's see where they don't choke one up against South Carolina's third string quarterback um, before we start anointing them. King at the same time, I think it's the same way on Florida side, right. Is let, let's see it. Like, you haven't won the SEC yet. You won the SEC East. You're one and two against Georgia. So there's still a lot to prove on that side too. And, uh, and you know, we'll see. It's a perfect test case. Mullen gets the opportunity to do it. Um, I would love if he had top five classes because then I think you and I both think that he's the superior coach when it comes to him and Kirby Smart. Don't know whether he's the superior coach when it comes to him and Nick Saban, but it was pretty clear Saban respected him after that SEC championship game this year. Um, and, and so if you had that kind of talent, you'd be like, hey, we're going to be a championship team here for years to come. I think what you're probably going to see is it's going to be more cyclical, right? That 2020 was an opportunity to really take advantage of some special guys that they had on that team. 2021, likely you're going to see the the um, like the floor will be pretty high, but you're going to see some mm-hmm. of the attrition start to take hold in certain areas. They'll shore up those areas with a couple of transfers coming into 2022, hopefully have a year full of Emory Jones getting better and better and better. And all of a sudden you'll say 2022 is the year that you're going to go out and really be able to take on Georgia and Alabama because of the experience that you have coming back. But you have to time it, right? And and our good friend Bill Sykes actually wrote an article for my site a couple of months ago talking about sort of the timing of SEC champions. And you could go and look back at where their all-SEC players came from, and they were always clustered real close together. 
And if you look at Florida's team last year, there just weren't any SEC, all SEC players on the defensive side of the ball. And so that's what happened, right? All the firepower was on the offensive side. There wasn't any balance, and Florida ends up being an unbalanced team that goes eight and three before that Oklahoma game. Alabama doesn't have that problem, right? They, they don't have to cluster them because they've got them all there. But Georgia does, right? I mean, I think when even when you look at Georgia's SEC championship, you can go back and look at their all-SEC players, and they sort of cluster around a couple of recruiting cycles. So Mullen still has an opportunity, right? You pull in a couple of transfers, you get the right development, you find the right quarterback, you cluster all those guys together, and you can put together something really special. I just don't think – similarly to LSU with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and sort of hitting lightning mm-hmm. in a bottle there – that's the path for Florida to win a championship is to be able to put all that stuff together. Now you hope what ends up happening is, is that sort of rolls into what's happened at Clemson, right? So Clemson, Clemson was never gangbusters on the recruiting trail, but they were really, really good at getting quarterbacks to come in and sort of keep their floor. You know, Taj Boyd never won 12 games, but he also never lost more than three. I don't think. And so Boyd sort of set the foundation and then you brought in Deshaun Watson who raised it even higher. And then you bring in Trevor Lawrence who raises it even higher. And if Mullen can sort of set that stage, then, then there's the possibility. The problem is, is Clemson never had to play Alabama in the SEC championship game as they were sort of building that program. But again, uh, it's a test case, right? We'll, we'll see whether Mullen is able to do that. Um, you know, he's the quarterback guru and, and he's going to have to prove it. Good stuff, Will. Good stuff. Uh, a few questions there. It took us all the way through uh, this episode there. We'll probably trying to do this more uh, there for, for YouTube guys. Um, glad um, you guys can uh, send questions and, and we answer them uh, as much as possible here. And hopefully hopefully we did a good job uh, of giving you guys uh, the content there. Um, as I said, we'll tease it. Hopefully hopefully next week, as I said, we'll, we'll uh, get a deep dive into some offense uh, there. Kind of hopefully trying to Maybe forecast what we'll see uh, on, on offense with the change at quarterback. Maybe changing uh, philosophy as well. I mean, it's not just quarterback. Will I think when you when you talk about change of philosophy, you got five running backs <laughs> that you have got to find a way to get the ball to and find a way to, to to get them some holes so they can hit some big plays. So not only is it just because of Emory Jones, it's because of the it's because of the the weapons you know hopefully perceived weapons at running back on the whole left side of the offensive line. Yeah. Right. I mean, Brett Heggie's gone. Stone Forsyth is gone. Ethan White didn't play a whole lot last year. So, you know, from center all the way out, you know, Richard Garage played quite a bit, but um, there's going to be quite a few changes up front, too. It's, it's a new look. It's a new look organization or a new look unit there on the offensive side of the ball. And there's going to be a lot of focus on Emory Jones. And I mean, rightfully so, because he's replacing a guy who finished fourth in the Heisman Trophy voting. Um, but there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things that are going to have to go right for this offense to really be elite. Again, I, I don't think any of us are sitting here going, oh, Dan Mullen's going to score 18 points a game. You know, his offense is never going to be like that. I think he's going to find a way to score. The question is going to be, can he find a way to score against Georgia? Can he find a way to score against Alabama? Not, can he find a way to score against Vanderbilt? And that, that'll be the differentiator, right? I think if if the offensive line can gel together and he can still put up points against teams like Alabama and Georgia, especially considering that Alabama early in the year is going to have its own issues, right, where they're breaking in an awful lot. I mean, that almost that entire team, it seems like, went to the NFL in the first round this year. Mm-hmm. So they're, they've got a lot to replace, too. And, and you know, as, as, much, um, as much as we may not think that Mac Jones really projects to the NFL, like – 
you know, like Tom Brady, as the guys on ESPN were saying during the broadcast, I think we can all agree that he played well last year and that he was a big part of why they won the championship. And, you know, you got somebody else jumping in there and, and Florida's going to have an opportunity to take advantage. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot. There's a lot on offense that's changing. It's not just the running backs. Um, you know, we all saw sort of the deficiencies on the right side of the offensive line, but I think we forget that the whole left side is changing too, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how they figure that out. Yep, so we'll go through, like I said, I'll go through – I'll take a really deep look at the quarterback and running back position next week. That's where I think we'll go. We'll go skill player as far as run, running the ball, quarterback uh, and running back. We'll have some good stuff there. Uh, looking back at Dan Mullen's history as a head coach at Mississippi State and at Florida as well. So, all right, well, man, what you got uh, uh, coming up? I knew you, uh, you guys, you and Nick launched something new this week. Yeah, so Nick Newson, he's he's a writer over there at Read and Reaction. We we decided that some of the stuff we write is too long, and so we decided to do something a little bit more short form. It's called Stand Up and Holler. It's on the Read and Reaction YouTube channel. You can get there from readreaction.com as well. It's sort of a PTI type of thing where we're spending two or three minutes on four different topics every week. Um, so hopefully everybody sort of enjoys that. There's also a longer form uh, – uh, there's a, there's a longer form version that goes up onto Patreon if you're interested in that as well. Um, and then I'm going to be writing this week about you. It was interesting. You brought up all the financial numbers. Um, there's been a lot of talk about playoffs and, and sort of expanding the playoffs to, to six teams or eight teams or 16 teams. And, you know, I, I hate that idea. And so I'm going to, I've got a proposal for how to make more parodies so that we're not seeing Alabama and Clemson every year without necessarily just expanding the thing to eight teams and then seeing Alabama and Clemson play in the championship game because they beat everybody and wind up in the final. So that, that's what's coming this week from an article perspective is I'm about halfway done with it. So hopefully by the middle of the week or by the, by the end of the week, I'll have that, have that finished and up on the site. Awesome. Good stuff there. Good stuff. You can find Will once again at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.